0: And if you would like to follow along in your copy of the Word of God, I'll be reading today from Matthew 26, taking a break. We've been taking a break from our usual routine of going straight through books, Ecclesiastes in particular. We had uh, uh, a message on the family because we had a baptism. Auburn was baptized a couple of weeks ago, and then we had a substitute uh, preacher uh, last week. And now today I thought, you know, we've been talking about baptism uh, and thinking about it. I have for two weeks in a row. And uh, what about the Lord's Supper? Uh, Let's think more deeply about the Lord's Supper. And here we have the institution of what I would call and has been called the new covenant Passover, uh, the Lord's Supper. So we begin Matthew 26 and verse 17. Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread... The disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve, and as they were eating... He said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And then he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is uh, the inspired and inerrant word of God. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you would... Open the scriptures to us, Lord, if you, the Holy Spirit, do not open our eyes and illumine uh, these words, then we will be in the dark. So, Lord, would you speak through me today as I proclaim this word, would you speak to uh, each of us in a very personal way uh, through this message, in Jesus' name, amen. So the Lord Jesus Christ, at the end of his earthly life, institutes two ordinances. We call them sacraments or ordinances. Two ordinances to observe on earth until he comes again in glory. One is baptism and the other is the Lord's Supper. Along with the word of God and prayer, uh, we like to say that the sacraments are... Part of the means of grace that God has given to us to build up uh, our faith or to even uh, bring faith to our souls or to nourish us in that faith. And that's what the Lord's Supper is all about it's nourishing the faith of those who believe. And, and of course, uh, when we had a baptism uh, a few weeks ago, I gave an explanation of baptism from Scripture uh, and. You know about its meaning today we observe the Lord's Supper and every time we have the Lord's Supper we read the words of institution and some explanation is given although it's fairly brief and so I think it's helpful from time to time uh, for us to do and I've done this before but it's been a while I think to just reflect upon what God's word says about the Lord's Supper or about baptism but today it's the Lord's Supper. So what is, first of all, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is an outward or visible sign instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ that represents an inward and spiritual grace. And so it's an outward sign instituted by Christ to represent an inward and spiritual grace. These sacraments are signs of God's covenant with his people. We heard, as we read in Exodus, about the Passover uh, we hear covenant language, and, and the same with the Lord's table and, and with baptism. These are signs of uh, the covenant. And uh, under the old covenant, there were a lot of signs. There, were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of symbolism. And we, we see that, uh, first of all, that the temple... And even the items in the temple, they're all specifically uh, commanded uh, by God. The the instructions on how to build them, dimensions, and what they were for uh, was given to Moses. And then the priesthood, and they had special garments that they had to wear. They had special functions, and only they could perform them. And they, along with the blood sacrifices that the priests offered to God, uh, many, many Outward symbols and, uh, uh, well, we would call them sacraments. It was a very sacramental faith in the Old Covenant. So today, under the New Covenant, there's only two. Very streamlined, very simplified uh, by the Lord. Why uh, do we only have two signs now, outward signs and symbols that we're commanded to observe? Well, I would say mainly because the Lord Jesus... Fulfilled all of the rest. He fulfilled what those Old Testament signs and symbols pointed to. Uh, He uh, himself is the temple of God. In him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. He's the temple. He's the great high priest who offered himself once and for all on the cross. He's the priest and the sacrifice. And so no more sacrifices are necessary. He's fulfilled these things. and uh, But there were two significant ordinances in the Old Covenant that were not entirely done away with, but they were transformed. They were changed and adapted into the New Covenant. And those two ordinances in the Old Covenant were uh, circumcision and Passover. And, of course, they have... Been adapted by the Lord and by His Church uh, to uh, become baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, those two ordinances were uh, they were bloody ordinances, uh, but baptism and the Lord's Supper are unbloody ordinances, and uh, that's because Christ has already shed His blood once and for all. So, no more need for blood. But but they do baptism and the Lord's Supper represent. Uh, the same spiritual blessings that those old covenant signs represented. They all point to Christ. Uh, The whole of Scripture points to Christ. And all those signs and symbols point to him and to his finished work and our salvation. And uh, so as I read the institution of Passover, the Passover meal, and the Passover uh, that was, it was, so Israel was to take a lamb for each family. And they were to sacrifice it, and they were to eat it, along with unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and uh, there were cups of wine. And they were to do this every year after the initial Passover. They were to do it every year as a memorial uh, to remember what God had done to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt. So so Passover was, first of all, it was a sacrifice. The lamb uh, without blemish was slain. Blood smeared on the doorposts and the lintel of of their doors. And why was that? So that when God sent his destroying angel, that he would pass over their homes and not take the lives of their firstborn. God would pass by. And and you see, the Israelites, uh, they were sinners who deserved to die just as the Egyptians did. And we need to remind ourselves that we are no better than those sinners out in the world. We're sinners in here, and and our only hope is to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, which is what that the blood of the Lamb over their doors represented. And so it was on account of God's grace that He provided an atonement. He's He provided a Lamb uh, to to take their place and. Uh, and so he set aside his wrath and passed by their homes, and the firstborn males were saved. They were delivered. And so this Passover instituted yearly, Exodus 12:14 says, So this day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. And so the, the Passover then became a sacrament. It was, it was to look back on what God had done in the past. But it was also a sign that pointed to the future. It was really pointing to the Messiah. That lamb really didn't take away sins because Hebrews says the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could never take away sin. They only pointed to the Lord Jesus who could. And so it was a sign uh, pointing forward to the promised Messiah, Uh, who would be that Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, the last prophet of the Old Covenant. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, And of course, Jesus, think of Jesus growing up in a Jewish home. He would have celebrated the Passover every year with his family. But then when he began his earthly ministry, he would celebrate the Passover with his disciples. As he's uh, doing in this passage In Matthew and uh, in the Gospels we read about what's called the Last Supper it was the last Passover uh, that Jesus took part in and in Luke 22 Luke's Gospel says uh, Jesus said to his disciples with fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I say to you I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God at that point Luke says Jesus was overwhelmed with deep emotion. Uh, he knew that this was the last meal he would have with them. Uh, he loved them. He had been with them for several years. And he, he longed to eat this meal with them. And, uh, of course, he said, I'm leaving you. And they were greatly sorrowful about that. Uh, and, and so how often must they have reflected on that last meal, that last supper with their Lord. But it was a time, you see, of of deep and intimate fellowship with Christ. And so, too, as we come to the Lord's table, this this ought to remind us that Christ longs and desires to meet with us at the table. And of course, we should long to do the same, uh, to meet with him, to draw near to him. Uh, Well, at this point, as Jesus... is, is observing the Passover, he, he institutes this new covenant meal, the Lord's Supper. He, he takes uh, some of the unleavened bread and he gives it new significance. No longer is the significance that it's unleavened, but he breaks it and he says, this is my body, broken for you. And then he took the wine, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And so uh, later on, the Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So the Lord's Supper has now replaced the Passover meal because Jesus himself was the lamb that was sacrificed for us. And and so the Lord's Supper becomes the new covenant, Passover. And it celebrates, of course, a far greater deliverance than that of slavery in Egypt. It's the deliverance... From sin, our bondage to sin. And because he was slain, because Christ was slain, and if you receive Christ, uh, then the Lord God in his wrath will pass over you. And you will be saved. And that's what the Lord's Supper represents. So Jesus uh, institutes this meal. He instituted it uh, as uh, a covenant meal to be observed uh, until... Uh, the end of time. Uh, And and so we also learn in the the scriptures that we are to prepare ourselves uh, for this meal. Of course, they had to prepare uh, in the old covenant. A much more physical preparation was required for the Passover. You had to find the lamb, the unblemished lamb. You had to cook it. You had to prepare this meal. uh, and, And it was a lot more involved. But still, we are to prepare mainly our hearts as we come Uh, to partake of this meal it's not just an outward ritual to go through a lot of people complain you know uh, most churches don't have the Lord's Supper every Sunday some do uh, but most have it less often once a quarter once a month or every other month and yet there are Christians who say you know they look at their watch and say why do we have to add on 15 more minutes to the worship service um, what does that say? <laughs> it's saying a lot about the person who says that, um, you know. And uh, and and I can think of someone right now in my mind who said that to me. Uh, but this um, this is not just an outward ritual for us to observe. Uh, it, it is it's a true sign and seal of our salvation. But it's a time for us to enjoy personal communion with the lord it's a time to experience real communion with each other in a unique way and to remind us that we're one body in in christ it's a time to do business with the lord and and to understand and participate in this meal we need to we need to have some instruction and that's what i'm hoping to give just a little bit these are basics and there's so much more the more i looked at this this week i realized there's so uh, much that we need to think about when we come to the Lord's table. Uh, not only what the elements mean and what Christ intended them to be for us, but how we're to approach the Lord's table ourselves. But just really two points with several subpoints under each. And the first is, what is the Lord's Supper? We talked about what a sacrament is, but let's look just now at the Lord's Supper. It's been referred to by... Uh, a number of terms. It's called communion, it's called the supper, the table, uh, sometimes a sacrament, sometimes an ordinance. It's also called the mass and the Eucharist. The Roman Catholic Church in particular uses those terms, and Protestants tend to avoid those terms because of the understanding that they uh, have of uh, of those things. And um, all Christians do agree on one thing, that Jesus instituted this meal. Uh, it was him, Jesus himself who did that. Uh, and all but the Quakers and a few others uh, believe that it's a perpetual obligation. We believe because Christ said, you know, uh, you know, as Paul wrote down in 1 Corinthians 11, you know, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so it, it, it's clear that it's meant to be from now on uh, that we have this meal. We can be thankful that for over 2,000 years, the church has been celebrating the Lord's Supper, and so that we are doing it today. Uh, but he, uh, uh, Jesus uh, chose two elements. Uh, he chose bread, and he chose wine. Uh, of course, the lamb is no longer necessary. He's the lamb. And, um, uh, but he took on our flesh. He became fully human, a true human body and soul, and he gave his body to be crucified, sinless body, sinless life he lived, uh, and he died for us. And and so he chose bread to represent his body. And uh, in John's Gospel, he said, I'm the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger. So what does bread do? It, it sustains life. It gives life. And so he is the bread of life. He, he told his disciples, take, eat. This is my body. And, and of course... That phrase, this is my body, uh, the Roman Catholic Church takes literally. And don't ask me to explain it. I think it's unexplainable. I think it's not true because to me it's it's pretty clear that, that Jesus meant that the bread represents or is a symbol of his body. And we do this to remember what he did in history. It's not repeated. There's no new sacrifice being made. And, and no, we're not literally eating the body of Jesus, as they say. But he did give new meaning to, this, to the bread in the meal. The, in the Passover, the bread being unleavened, that was a big deal. You remember that from hearing the, the reading in Exodus. Uh, because it meant that you didn't have time to let the bread rise. Uh, you, you just had to cook it unleavened. And, and Because you had to leave in a hurry. Uh, before Pharaoh changes his mind. And of course he does change his mind and, and comes after them in the wilderness. That's another story. Uh, as they left, uh, but now Christ takes the bread and breaks it and he gives it a new significance. This is my body. I'm going to be broken uh, for you. And so he broke the bread to uh, represent what was about to happen to him uh, through his death on the cross. And so, so it's not the leaven anymore. You know, people debate about should we have leavened bread or unleavened bread in the Lord's Supper. It doesn't really matter. What matters is, is that there's bread and that we remember that it was broken, uh, that Jesus broke it to to represent uh, his broken body for us. Well, the second element in the meal is the cup. And so one of the cups of wine from the Passover meal, again, scholars debate about which cup it was. I think there were four cups in the Passover. But one of those cups uh, of wine was taken by Christ, and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood it's shed for many for the remission of sins and so jesus shed his blood as an atonement for sin that we might be forgiven might be cleansed of our sins and hebrews 9 it talks it sums it up it says according to the law almost all things are purified with blood and again you go back to the old covenant and there were so many uh, ceremonies where blood uh, sacrifice had to be made and blood was used uh, to represent the forgiveness and it says in Hebrews 9 without shedding of blood there is no remission and then there's 1 John 1 7 it says the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin so that the, 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 the bread and the wine represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ given for us they represent Christ's finished work, is atoning sacrifice, uh, Christ crucified. The Lord's Supper is a visible sermon. And it's only a, a visible sermon when it's accompanied by the written word. We, we must uh, emphasize that. Uh, it must be explained. But it's not only a sign. It's, secondly, it's a seal. Uh, it is a seal. And... and you know, we think of the presidential seal. If you've got a letter from the president, it's going to have the seal on it. It's going to, to be stamped with his authority. Romans 4:11 speaks of the sign of circumcision as "quote a seal of the righteousness of faith." A, a seal is a sign, but it's a special sign that carries God's authority with it, and uh, the authority of the one who institutes it. So, so it's a visible guarantee. It's a solemn pledge or oath that whatever. Uh, is being signified, is guaranteed to be true. It's guaranteed to be yours if you uh, qualify for it. But And so it, it's a pledge. The Lord's Supper is a pledge by Christ's own authority. He instituted it, and and it's a seal of the gospel, the truth of the gospel that, that he has proclaimed and that his apostles proclaim to us. And so it confirms. The Lord's Supper confirms the promises of God in the Bible. Now, in, in a sense, we don't, we shouldn't need that confirmation. The word by itself should be enough, except for Jesus said, "I'm going to give you a, a visible uh, token too," because this will help you to internalize that word and, and to it's it's a it's an it's a sermon illustration, if you will. Uh, it's the one that Christ authorized for us, and so. Uh, It it confirms what Jesus promises to us. Salvation, eternal life, forgiveness, acceptance, adoption into his family. And uh, do you ever have doubts about these things? Do I really belong to the Lord? Uh, Are you 100% certain about your own salvation? Perhaps you... Are here today, and you just have a general sense of spiritual uneasiness that something's not right. Can't put my finger on it. Well, the, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and a member of His church, by profession of faith, you see the Lord's Supper is meant to reassure you of Christ's love and of His sacrifice for you. I like what John Calvin wrote. He said the chief function of the Lord's Supper is to seal and confirm the promise by which he testifies that his flesh is food indeed, his blood is drink, which feed us unto eternal life. You see, I I, I, there's some uncertainty, but when you take the bread in your hands and you put it into your mouth and you chew it up and you swallow it, you there's a tangible uh, confirmation that Christ did indeed die for you. And, and, and so the same with the cup. So the Lord's Supper, you see, makes Christ's promise in his death and resurrection. It makes that promise personal. The Lord's Supper is very personal and individual. Yes, it's corporate, too. It's both. Uh, but Jesus didn't just die for sinners. In the Lord's Supper, Supper, he's saying, take, eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. Fill in your, Put your name in there. He died for me. It's very personal. When I eat and drink, I know as that, as the, as, as the bread and the, and the cup become part, as we eat, you are what you eat. It becomes part of you. Uh, it reminds us of the union that we have with Jesus Christ. But the second main point, and again several sub-points, is what is the design or purpose of the Lord's Supper? Well, first of all, the Lord's Supper was given by Christ as a memorial. As a memorial, and it's clear from Christ's words, do this in remembrance of me. Isn't it written on the front of the Lord's table here? This do is it this do or do this? This do do in remembrance of me. King James language says this do, Uh, and and so specifically we remember the death of Christ. Uh, Morton Smith, Dr. Morton Smith said it is specifically the death of Christ one might think that it was the resurrection that would be the object of the memorial uh, but instead it's the death Uh, particularly it's it is the death of Christ as a substitutionary sacrifice you see Jesus said this is my body which was given for you it's meant to teach us you see the Lord's Supper that that Jesus died in our place. He He became our substitute, just like the lamb was the substitute for the firstborn. Christ gave His life on our behalf and in our place. And so it's a memorial. It it causes us to remember what He did, but it's not a mere memorial. It's interesting, uh, and there's debates. I, I went to a website. I think it was early. It was yesterday, and and uh, then I. Think has some really good uh, answers to spiritual questions, but in that on that website it said the Lord's Supper is just a memorial; it's not a means of grace. Just just a memorial. It's just just you know it's just like hanging a picture on your wall and that's it. Um, I don't think that's true. And of course the reformers did not most of them. Some would say that the Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli had that memorialist view, but actually he never denied the spiritual presence of Christ uh, in this meal. But secondly, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is as a means of grace. It is more than a memorial. It is a memorial but it's also a means of grace. And someone has said that the means of grace are in effect the delivery systems God has instituted uh, to gather up his elect by bringing grace that uh, his redemptive blessings uh, illumination, regeneration, spiritual power and, and, and change and spiritual strength uh, to the the souls of believers as we need them. So uh, a, a means of grace is a channel. It's a conduit. It's, a, it's a, a way in which God meets with us to bless us. So just as bread and wine nourish the body, uh, the uh, the Lord nourishes and feeds our souls. Because when you come to the Lord's table, yes, you are actually feeding on and eating literal food, but you are feeding... On Christ by faith, you're drawing strength from him uh, as you uh, commune with him. So it is a channel of God's grace. And, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, we say, give us this day our daily bread. God provides that daily bread and our bodies are strengthened. When we come to the Lord's Table, we should have this as really as a prayer on our mind. Lord, feed my soul with this true manna that you have provided for me. This manna from heaven, this spiritual manna, sustain me and strengthen me by your grace. And we know that grace always comes to us from the Father through the Son, and it's immediately applied to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you see, is is at work uh, in the Lord's Supper. But this grace does not come to us if, if the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a means of grace, then it does not come to us automatically. Uh, just going through the motions won't do it. They're, like everything that God um, gives us, it, it, we must receive it and appropriate it by faith. Uh, we have come to the Lord's table really believing that He's present uh, with us. We, do we not come to prayer uh, with faith and believing that He's really hearing us? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't come to the Lord's table without faith. And please God. So faith is very important. It's never an automatic thing. Um, And our faith, you see, is both exercised in the Lord's Supper. We put forth our faith. We we receive Christ by faith again in the Lord's Supper. But it's also strengthened when we receive uh, communion. Third, the Lord's Table is a time when believers experience fellowship and communion with Christ. I've alluded to this already. But 1 Corinthians... Uh, chapter 10, verse 16, we read, The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So in the Lord's Supper, we commune spiritually. We fellowship with Christ. And that word communion in Corinthians is the word, the Greek word koinonia. It refers to a, a sharing in common or to an intimate fellowship. Uh, with someone. And and by contrast, Paul goes on in that passage in Corinthians to say, do not have fellowship, do not have koinonia with uh, demons by participating in pagan worship. The Corinthians were coming out of pagan worship, and he says, you come to the Lord's table, but do not go back to the pagan tables because you'll have fellowship with demons. Uh, But when we come to the Lord's table, it's Christ. That we have fellowship with Him, and and remember too that yes, Christ is spiritually present, and when we come to the Lord's table, a big thing should be on our hearts, and that's thanksgiving for what He's done. Uh, how thankful are you? Uh, you say I I, I don't really I, I feel like the Lord's met all my needs. I, I'm doing fine right now. I, I don't have any great burdens. Well, just give thanks. Let it be a time of thanksgiving to the Lord for what he's done. And, and um, that's, by the way, where the word Eucharist comes from. It, it is a Greek word that's found in Scripture, and it, and it means giving of thanks. Um, so if the Lord's Supper is a Eucharist, then that's, we'll limit it to thanksgiving, not some extra stuff that's been added. But uh, in the Lord's Supper, we also commune with one another. We express our unity, our oneness, that we are members of one body in Christ. And so... Uh, remember that, that it, as you take the Lord's Supper, is there something I have against someone I would be willing to forgive them and, 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 and or if they you know, need to be for, uh, forgive me, that, that I would be willing to go to them and, and, and that I would have nothing between uh, uh, me and uh, my brothers and sisters. So the Lord's Supper says that we're united with each other. Fourth, the Lord, Lord's Supper is a time for self-examination. In Matthew 26, 21, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And immediately, what did they do? They started asking themselves and even asking the Lord, Is it me? Is it me? Um, And uh, and they began to wonder if they would be the one to betray the Lord. And and it says that they were very sorrowful about this. Uh, And so, you see, the Lord's Supper uh, should be approached with self-examination. Lord, is it me? Have have I disrupted? There's some spiritual uneasiness and discomfort. Is it me? Am I the problem? Well, probably. (laughs) It's not the Lord. Uh, It's usually me. and It's usually us. So uh, we we examine ourselves, and we come, uh, and we're reminded in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, not to eat or drink in an unworthy manner, but let a man examine himself. Let a person examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So, uh, we might find, if we examine our lives, we may find, yeah, there's some stuff there that is not pleasing to God. But he says, that, let a man examine it, and so let him come. Don't let that stop you from coming. Just deal with it. Uh, confess it. Tell it to the Lord and, and, and get rid of it. Go, leave it behind you. Ask for cleansing and forgiveness. And then eat of the bread and drink the cup. Because you need the strength that God provides through this meal Someone has said that the Lord's Supper is the Presbyterian version of the altar call. And uh, it's a time for you and I to get right with God and to rededicate our lives to Him. Um, and, and lastly, the Lord's Supper points us forward to the future, to the return of Jesus Christ in His second coming. Whenever, Paul says, whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Well, Jesus points to that the very end of Matthew 26 and verse 29, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's a meal yet to come. A heavenly banquet. And Revelation 19:7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Blessed are those who recall called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Have you been invited to that marriage supper of the Lamb? Have you responded to that invitation and and received Jesus Christ? In order to be present at that table in heaven, you need to receive Christ. Coming to the table is not how you come to Christ in a sense for salvation. You must come to to believe on Him. And then those who believe come to the table uh, to to enjoy the benefits of, of a relationship with the Lord, but I would urge you, if you know the Lord, to come to the table today and think on these things that we've talked about. So there's so much more, and I'm sorry I have to stop, uh, and uh, you know, because there's there's more to, to think about and talk about. But what we look forward not only to what, looking back to what Christ has done, but forward to His coming and what we will experience in glory with Him. Would we'll ask now that the elders would come forward as we go, uh, to the table of the Lord.